Well, a man went up to heaven. How many jokes have you heard it started like that? man went up to heaven, and he was getting shown around by St. Paul. I think he's the one who's usually the tour guide. And St. Paul showed him a group of people walking into a building together and walking out separate doors with huge smiles on their faces. And the man said, what's this? And Paul said, well, in heaven, one day a year, we let people do what uh, they could not do on earth. And so these are Roman Catholics, and they were not allowed to get divorced. So they're all standing in line to get divorced and coming out happy. And he showed him another room where there was another part of town where there was this raucous dance party going on. And he said, what's this? And he said, these are the Church of Christ. This is the one day a year they dance. And then he took them to another part of town, and it was a big beer garden. And he said, what's this? And he said, this is... These are the Baptists. This is the one day a year that they drink in front of each other. And then he took them out to a hillside, and there were people sitting on the hillside going, hmm. And the man said, what's this? And he said, those are the Presbyterians. They can't think of anything they didn't do on earth. <laughs> what, what is heaven? What is it? Everybody wonders, right? Uh, one of my favorite comedians is Brent Butt. He says that heaven is a place, whenever he envisions heaven, he envisions women in white bikinis feeding him chili dogs. What, what is heaven? What, what is it for you? Is it the place where we can't do things, where we can do things? Is it sitting on clouds with harps? Is it singing eternally at an eternal choir? Boy, I hope not. 30 minutes is all I got. What is it? Now, the answer, of course, is that heaven is the place where we are with God. It's going to look like, it's going to look a lot like earth. It's going to be the new heavens and the new earth. And, and we don't actually, if you read what is happening in Revelation 21 and 22, we don't go up to heaven. Heaven comes down to earth. The new city, the new heavens, the new earth descend. And, and we see them. It's going to look like here. It's going to look like home, but it's going to be the home that you've never visited before. It's going to be home that's different. Home without any sin and any effects of sin. Home with, with no pollution and no jealousy and no poverty and no sickness. It's going to feel like home. It's going to be a place with no envy and no greed, with no death, with no pain, with no aging. It'll be the place of no want. And it's going to be the place where finally we will see God. Heaven will be the place of perfect, ideal intimacy. That's what it is. It, heaven is a place where you will see and be seen and bask in the love that's in those eyes. Please stand as we read this beautiful description of heaven. From Revelation, first chapter 21, and then from chapter 22. Hear the word of the Lord. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. 
And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, As for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And then from chapter 22. The angel then showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. And also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Heaven is a place of intimacy and joy. It's a place where finally we'll experience what the the psalmist longed for in Psalm 23. I I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I have nothing that I want. That, that is what we're looking forward to. I think it's said, uh, maybe the most elegantly in the um, Pixar movie, uh, WALL-E, when the, uh, when the spaceship captain uh, turns the, the ship toward Earth, and people ask him, where are we going? And he said, we're going home for the first time. We're going home for the first time. Finally, you will feel at home. But before we get there, um, we need to talk about who's going to be there. Because both of these texts, right, make very clear that not everyone is going to be there. And, and, and really to kind of explain it to you, I'll have to ask you the question, does heaven fit you? It is a place that is, that is God-dominated, does that fit you? Does that sound detestable to you? Uh, if, if the place where he is the light, so you're as surrounded by God as you are surrounded by light in the middle of the day, does that fit you? Would you even enjoy that? Um, what, what do I mean? When, it sounds weird to think that not everybody would enjoy heaven, right? It sounds kind of strange. Uh, I'll use an illustration, uh, Dave and Buster's. You know what Dave and Buster's is? Dave and Buster's is an arcade, a huge arcade for adults and for kids. And there's every possible video game. There's lights. There's, there's you know, skee-ball. There's every kind of arcade game that you ever played, no matter how old you were. And uh, it's, it's just joy surrounded by four walls for most boys. 
And one day, because I, want, I dreamt of being the greatest dad of all time, I pulled my kids out of sixth and seventh grade and took them to Dave and Buster's for lunch. And Harold could not have been more thrilled. I mean, his eyes lit up when I told him where we were going. He took his play card and, and started running around looking at all the places he could play. But my other son, my older son, um, he's on the autistic spectrum, and I didn't really know that at the time. And if you're on the spectrum, then loud noises that you're not expected, expecting make you terribly anxious. And, sh- and flashing lights make you terribly anxious. And crowds make you terribly anxious. And he could not wait to get out of there. He hated every second of it. And what was heaven to Harold was essentially hell to Brundage. And what is heaven for God's people is the, the, the sounding of the knell, the sounding of the, the bell for hell for people who hate God. And to explain that, if you want to read through Revelation, there's a big section we kind of skipped over, skimmed over. It's very hard to preach, but let me tell you what's happening. There's two sets of seven in Revelation. There's seven uh, trumpets, and there are seven bowls. And if you lay them on top of each other, if you get your Excel spreadsheet out and you lay them on top of each other, you'll see they're essentially the same things. God is striking the water, and God is striking the land, and he's sending plagues. So why does he call them trumpets from one perspective? Remember, we're saying that Revelation is not chronological. It's not the seven trumpets, then the seven bowls. But Revelation is seeing things from different perspectives. What is a trumpet? A trumpet is something that rouses you, that wakes you up, that calls to you, calls you to battle, calls you to action. What's the bowl? A bowl throughout the Bible is a symbol of God's wrath. It's the cup of God's wrath. How could those be the same thing? Well, when trial comes, God's people are called by that back to God. They come to him for help. When trials come to those who are not God's people, they raise their fist in anger. They run away. They can't wait to get away from him. And then finally, when the final trumpet sounds, that's telling us that Jesus is here. And all of his people flee to him. They they, they can't get to him fast enough. The the vision of, of the face of Jesus is what you have longed to see every second of your life. You can't wait to get to that and see that smile. But if you're an unbeliever, then the thought that that Jesus has come. He's real. This thing that you have mocked your entire life is real. That is a terrifying sound. And so instead of running to him, you run away from him. You go to the mountains. You say, hide me, fall on me. I would rather be under an avalanche than see that face. So what is the final trumpet? Is the final bowl. It's the same thing. And what God does... In his mysterious mercy and in his mysterious judgment is he lets people go the direction they want to go. Revelation 2, I mean, Romans chapter 2 describes that, that, that natural man, man without grace, without the Spirit, 
They want to suppress the knowledge of God. God's not missing. God's not hidden. They see it and they suppress that knowledge. And God lets them. He, he gives them over to what they want. And that's, that's what the judgment looks like. And if that's been you up to this day, if, if when you've seen, had trial, when you've had uh, conflict, come to God to, to have him heal you and comfort you and, and be with you, then I want you to know that Jesus has drank the final cup for you. The night before he was going to the cross, he began to pray to the Lord, and he said, he said in his humanness, in his, in his dread of, of undergoing the wrath of God, he said, do I have to drink this cup? Can you take this cup from me? Is there any other way? And his father said to him, no, you have to drink it. If you're going to be with your people, if you're going to spend forever in the loving embrace of your people, you have to drink this cup for them. And the cup has been drunk. And you don't have to run away anymore. You can come to him. It's safe. It's safe. The doors of, of heaven are open to you if you'll come. And what do you get? What do you get when you come in those doors? You get healing. You get healing. Look at chapter 24, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Why will there not be crying? Why will there not be mourning? All those things that hurt so bad when they happen to us in life. All of those things will be undone. He says, behold, I'm making all things new. And he wipes our tears out of our eyes. We, we may not ever understand why we were allowed to go through those sufferings, but we'll definitely know, we'll definitely know that he was good even on our worst day. We will trust that he was good even when we couldn't see him. And the most beautiful thing is that when we wake up there and he wipes the tears from our eyes and he heals the pain in our hearts, it is going to be, um, it's going to be as if they didn't happen. The Apostle Paul says um, that we, our sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that holds, God holds out in front of us. They're, they're, it's just a different level of reality. It's a different experience. I, uh, I've told y'all this before, but I've got a recurring nightmare. I have it about three times a year. I've had it so many times that now actually in my dream, I tell myself, oh, this is that dream. I actually, yeah, I'm not going to tell you the other one. But, and that recurring nightmare is that I wake up, and it's the last day of the fall semester, and there's a class that I didn't go to once. And now they are having the final exam. And I begin sprinting all over the campus because I don't even remember what classroom it meets in. And I finally burst into the classroom and there's just a few minutes left to take the test. And I don't know any of it. Lately it's been Spanish. And I'm just looking at the teacher going, I don't remember a word. And then I wake up. And I'm in a new reality. That dream was kind of real. It was real. It was a real thing. It was a real dream. 
But when I wake up, I'm in the other reality, the reality where I graduated from college. I used to have that dream so vividly that in the middle of the night, I I clearly remember 2 o'clock in the morning going and getting my diploma off the wall and staring at it. You graduated. Go back to sleep. And when we wake up and we see God, he's going to be so real. And we are going to be so real that all the, the pain and suffering of this experience, it was real, but it's not going to be as real as that. It's going to be as comparing our new reality to a dream. He's making everything new. We're going to be healed physically. We're going to know bodily pleasure, and we're going to know it without withering. Those of you who have watched a loved one just kind of wither away, whether it be from, uh, whether it be from uh, arthritis or uh, disease, and you've seen that you just watched them lose all joy in their body. Man, it's going to be beautiful to see them run. It's going to be beautiful. I cannot wait to see Laura Marino run and not have any pain. There's going to be mental healing. People are going to be clear. And all those that we've watched lose their memories are going to be, have vivid memories of us. I cannot wait. I I often think uh, of what it's going to be like, um, you know, to see Kaylee. You know, Kaylee from the nursery. Uh, To see her run up to Gareth and Sarah Moffat and and say thank you for the first time in her life. To be able to say thank you for taking me out of that orphanage. Thank you for taking care of me. I know it was hard. And I couldn't tell you thank you back then, but now I can. Thank you. It's going to be a place of emotional healing where all the scars on our hearts are finally and fully healed, where there's no more depression, there's no more uh, anxiety, there's no more fear, there's no more sadness. And all that sadness that's finally gone, it'll all actually just serve to make heaven sweeter because you know that it's gone. You know that it's gone. And finally, it's a place of relational healing. He says it's a place for the healing of the nations, the leaves of the tree of life, or for the healing of the nations. Uh, the, uh, Isaiah says it's a place where the lion and the lamb will lay down together. And, and I always used to eat, read that and go, that's kind of boring. What's going on there? No natural animosity. No anger. Mortal enemies will love each other. C.S. Lewis said that when he was fighting World War I, he often envisioned that he and a, and a German soldier would shoot each other at the exact same moment. And as their bodies died, their souls would bond together and, and they would tell each other they forgive each other and they would embrace and, and go to heaven together. It's kind of a weird image for some things, but it's a beautiful image. Heaven will be the place. I, I've told you before that there, there have been times in my life when I thought if my dad were, were in heaven, I didn't want to go there. I don't feel that way anymore. I'm going to be healed. He's going to be healed. And it'll be the first time since I was about six years old that I'll be able to hug him with, the, with all the love that I'll 
know that I ought to, but I can't muster. We're going to be healed relationally, emotionally, physically, mentally. It's a place of healing and is ultimately the place of fulfillment. It is the place of completion. Uh, when, you know, when the, apostle, when the uh, psalmist says, when the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, what is that, what kind of image does that bring up? For some, I think it brings up this kind of image of a spoiled brat going through a toy store saying, I want this, and I want that, and I want this, and I want that, and they get everything they want. Rest assured, heaven is not uh, full of spoiled brats. Heaven is filled with people who are content, who just don't know want. That word's going to sound strange to your ears. What would, it, what would it mean to not have what I want? I, what, is, what does want mean? Can you imagine a life of not knowing what want means? Right now you want this sermon to end. What does want mean? What is that even going to feel like? It's going to feel like you have nothing left to accomplish, nothing left to prove, nothing left that you have to get done. Last week, I, I told you the illustration of, um, of Harold after he got his Eagle Scout, how he, he burst into tears and he said, I had no idea how stressed I was uh, until I was finished. And honestly, it was one of the few illustrations I've ever given where you responded with an audible groan. Like just the, the desire for that day was so strong in your hearts that I could hear it. And I, I want to take us back there. It's real, isn't it? It's real. Why do I have that dream that I'm, that I'm missing my final exam? Because I just carry around this feeling that there's something left undone, that I am incomplete. I carry around this feeling that there is stress on my shoulders that I am not prepared for. And to know that day is gone. To know that I am I'm hearing the words of God in my ears saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come to your rest. To know that I'm looking into my Father's eyes and He's saying, come here. I have nothing left to prove. Everything I was created to do has been done. It's been perfected in Christ, and I have been fulfilled. Does that sound good? I want you to go to that place in your mind because I need to press you one step further. Can you just imagine that in your mind? Because the final promise of this verse, this text, it's so magnificent Like, you have to be prepared for it. Okay, are you ready? Promise? It says in 22 verses 4 and 5. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. What does that mean? In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
And some Bible translations, if you'll look through them, translate that. And it's a hard, intimate translation that's hard for us to get our, our mind around. The word with is weak, but uh, it's the best we can do. Uh, but some translations actually translate that the word was face to face with God. The Son of God and the Father being face to face, smiling on each other. And it's got to be the father and the son or the mother and the daughter because we humans can't conceive of, of, of being that intimate apart from sexuality, but it's so far beyond that. I got a, just a whiff of that several years ago when I was at a friend's birthday party and his father was toasting him and talking about the blessing that his son has been to him every day of his life. And at the end of the toast, they drank and they turned toward each other and they smiled, and it's sweet because they have the exact same smile. And they leaned their heads toward each other, and their foreheads touched. It was so intimate. And on one hand, I desperately wanted that. On the other hand, I didn't feel like it was appropriate for me to be looking on it. Face to face with God. They will behold his face. Now let's take it one step further. Jesus, when he prayed for us the final time before going to the cross, in John chapter 17, he says, Oh, Father, I miss it. I miss what it was like when I was in you, when you were in me. And then he begins to pray for us, and he says, Father, (laughs) oh my gosh. Sorry, I just got chills. He says, I want them to be with us. Them in me, and me in you, and them and you in us. He wants us to be in that eternal embrace where we are so close, we're so tightly hugged by God himself that it is not fully clear. We don't lose our identity, but it's not fully clear where we end and he begins. You know what? You know when uh, it's this Christmas time of year, right? So we're about to Thanksgiving's two weeks away, and we're all going to be watching television, and we're going to be seeing those sappy, cheesy, awful Thanksgiving commercials where you know veterans come home and they haven't seen their daughter in two years, and he surprises her, and they run to each other, or, or you know the Labrador Retriever hasn't seen them in two years, and surprises him, they run and they hug. And we just, we hate how much we love those commercials, don't we? It's like, how dare you manipulate me in the middle of a football game? And you just, you just see that embrace and you think, that is right. That's right. Heaven is that feeling of hugging someone and time stopping and being fully known fully loved face to face that's better than harps and clouds isn't it let's pray Father in heaven we can't carry the weight of a vision like that it's just too much we're afraid we're afraid to think that we're going to be in you and you in us that's that sounds almost blasphemous to say we confess, Lord, that it's beyond anything we've ever hoped for. 
We pray, Lord, I pray with everything that's in me that we would believe that day is coming and that the desire for that day would carry us through today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.